0: Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today's episode is all about energy systems training, or bioenergetics, which is essentially how the body fuels its activities, including the way we move. So Josh, I know you've put a lot of years into this, and this is certainly more your expertise, so I'm going to I'm gonna do my best to try to hang with you, but <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking a good way to probably to kick this off is just to dispel a common misconception regarding the topic. So anyone that's listening, physical therapist, strength coach, anyone with exercise science background, when it's taught at the basic kindergarten level, I think we're all told that first, your ATP-CP system turns on, Then, when it runs out of fuel, you go into anaerobic or the glyco- glycolytic system for about two minutes. And then after that, your aerobic system revs up and turns on. But in reality, all these systems are turned on at the same time, then get up or down river. Regulated, depend on the individual. So, am I in line with that thought process,
2: Josh? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. They're all always working, and the intensity, of the activity, or the duration activity is really going to kind of dictate which one is going to be your primary source of fuel. And as, as you said, you alluded to the duration aspect of it. Um, you know, some of them are uh, are going to be more prevalent and be more active at. Uh, or at least when the intensity is really high and the duration is really short. And then as the duration gets longer, intensity, of course, drops. And yes, then the aerobic system will be more the primary system. But you're exactly right. They're all working at all times, man. Mm
1: -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess with that line of thinking, you know, one thing that always resonated with me is that when it comes to thinking about these systems with training or, or programming, before a person dives into glycolytics or anaerobic exercise, it doesn't matter what sport you play or what kind of person you are. You, you, if you think of it like a pyramid, we first develop an aerobic base and go from there. So I thought that'd be a good one to talk talk about first. then since yeah, I think you're, I think we're both in agreement that that's where we need to start. Um, um, so what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, no, you're exactly right, man. I think uh, it a uh, one area that people sometimes forget is the aerobic system. Is also really supports anaerobic metabolism. So when we have anaerobic metabolism, we create all these negative byproducts that are decreasing pH and they're they're creating that burning feeling. Well, our aerobic system is largely responsible for clearing out those byproducts and allowing us to do these repeated bouts of higher intensity effort. So uh, and no matter what the sport, even if it's something as far on the anaerobic spectrum as, say, Olympic weightlifting where you do six, you know, whips, you know, in a meet, you know, having a well-developed aerobic system, not only going to help you on, uh, you know, in terms of uh, recovering between attempts on a meet day, but really in training, allowing you to have, you know, to train at a higher volume because you're able to uh, recover better between attempts. So uh, the aerobic system is, is extremely important. And. Uh, it sometimes I feel like it gets a bad rap, or uh, especially in this this world, uh, the CrossFit world, which you and I uh, have to deal with a lot, and uh, are lucky enough to work with some great CrossFit athletes. Uh, a lot of people, you know, when they come to me, I don't know when they come to you, but uh, they'll they'll never have done a workout longer than 15 minutes, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things. It's kind of a little bit of some athlete education there on the importance of doing, uh, you know, more aerobic activities. And there's a wide range of ways you can do things. For me personally, I do like to start on the longer end of the spectrum. I like to build people up with some more long, slow distance type stuff just to get them used to doing it. Um, and that doesn't have to be, you know, running, you know, the classically, it's just go out and run and get your miles in on the track, um, or on the road. Uh, for me, it's building them. Maybe it's 30 minutes on an assault bike or on a rower and building them up from there. Um, to you know, I like to start on that end just to get people used to moving for that long. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be monostructural. It can be, uh, you know, five rounds of a thousand-meter row, 50-meter farmers carry, uh, 30 assault bike calories, uh, five strict pull-ups, and a 10-meter handstand walk uh you know it could be you know that's still very aerobic and yes it's still uh, it's mixed modal um and sometimes that keeps it a little bit more interesting uh but still it's really just aerobic work um and i think it's important to include that no matter your sport but especially if fitness is your sport uh, i think that sometimes it gets neglected uh and you know at least for me i i prioritize it uh, a lot especially in the off season especially right after a competitions done um i think we spend a little too much time in the crossfit world um you know, going hard in that three to eight minute range, and, and not enough time allowing us for
1: some more aerobic adaptation. So I like to I like to put in the long work. Sure, yeah, and and I, I think that's one of the things that attracts people to CrossFit in the first place is you know it's, such, it's a constantly varied, right? So um, it it never gets boring. But you know, if you really are looking at this from an athletic development standpoint, it, it, aerobic training is training. I, I hear a lot of CrossFit athletes refer to it as active recovery. Right. You know, Josh programmed. 30 minutes or an hour of, uh, biking or, or the, you know, mixed modal stuff, you know, biking, carrying that kind of thing too. But, you know, that's where a lot of really good adaptations occur. And I mean, that's down to the, uh, cardiovascular structures and, uh, the, the mitochondria of the cells. Um, and you know, another thing too, is I wanted you to, if you don't mind touch on is what's the intensity of this, you know, cause you know, we think about riding an airdyne or an assault bike, it sucks, right? right. Especially if you're going hard, but if we're talking about you know, long duration, low intensity, how hard do we need to go for that?
2: Right. And that, and for that specifically, I'm going to want their heart rate to be between maybe 65% and 75% at, at the most of maximal heart rate. It's pretty low intensity there. Um, so it's like you said, it's not intended to be very strenuous uh, because we are trying to create specific adaptations and those specific adaptations include, as you said, from a cardiorespiratory standpoint, Trying to actually increase the size of left ventricle uh, um, and in a beneficial way because we always think pathological, uh, you know, adaptations to left ventricle where it's uh, thickening of the wall because we're trying to, we're pushing against either stenosis or high blood pressure. That's not good. But you can actually increase the size of the left ventricle in terms of the chamber size, which is beneficial because then we're pumping out more blood with each contraction. So uh, we're actually trying to increase that through through increasing stroke volume. That's going to get that a bigger stretch, which is going to be that east, Centric stretching is what's going to increase the size of that chamber. Uh, You mentioned mitochondria. uh, So we are trying to increase mitochondrial density, their number of them. Um, and then also which in turn increases mitochondrial enzymes, which is going to turn that muscle fiber into, you know uh, it's going to increase its oxidative capacity. It's going to be better be able to turn that oxygen into ATP or utilize oxygen for APT, ATP production. Um, but even further, we're trying to, to act on the capillary level, increasing capillary density, which is going to increase the amount of blood that we're able to get to the working tissue. Uh, so all those adaptations if you, you know, are so important uh, it, from a performance standpoint And they're not created through going really, really, really hard for a short duration. Um, You know that has its place too, but for these specific adaptations, we actually need to keep the intensity low, go for longer durations, and and over time,
1: we're going to see those changes that are going to be desirable. Sure, sure. And you know, with with that said, you know, is this is this also a way that people can sneak into a day's? Yeah, exactly. You know, we say we go hard during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Honestly, go ahead, go ahead. that's my favorite way to do it.
2: Um, so I, I, you know, I think that volume is important. Yes, in this sport, but you can structure your volume uh, to where everything you're doing has serves a purpose and is going to ultimately help you in the long run. And what I mean by that is a lot of my athletes they'll do they'll do doubles, they'll do two a day sessions, but. They're not two CrossFit workouts, if you think of it that way, mm-hmm. at least not in the off season. Maybe if they're a regionals level athlete and I need to build up volume in a, in a way where they're going to be doing multiple of those kind of workouts in a day to prepare them for that. But for me, a lot of my athletes, their AM or their PM session will be between 30 and 90 minutes. Again, depend. it all depends on the person's lifestyle and what they can uh, dedicate to training. But really 30, maybe to 60 minutes. And it's probably going to be more easier work. It's going to have skills in there because this is another way I can sneak, sneak in skills work in a non-fatigue setting Um, so specifically say they need to work on um, you know a higher skill like muscle ups or handstand walk or or pistols or anything like that I can throw them in there in smaller rep numbers um, Mm -hmm. within this longer aerobic piece Uh, it it allows me again to uh, you know those little contractions actually stimulate recovery Uh, you know so having those small um, contractions I try to avoid any eccentrics if I can during that or minimize Mm -hmm. my eccentrics there so I'm not furthering any, um, you know, mechanical damage. I'm really focusing on um, moving blood. Moving blood is so important for recovery. Uh, So not only am I creating these beneficial adaptations, but I'm also getting the recovery aspect and I'm getting the skill work aspect. And that's one way I like to, um, you know, incorporate uh, more volume into somebody's training program because it's just, it's only going to enhance the rest of their training that I'm having them do.
1: Sure, sure. Awesome, man. And and just to kind of switch gears a little bit too um this is something that we routinely use in the rehab world too so we're talking about post-ops you know let's take a shoulder for example you know they're going to spend an hour with us doing you know skilled rehab manual therapy exercise that kind of thing but it's very common that after our session together you know we may stick them on on a bike and i'm not going to bill for that time because it's not skilled but you know i may say hey you're done with your session for today if you got a lecture time i'd like you to you know spend you know 30 to 45 minutes on a bike you know play on Play on your, your phone if you want to a little bit, but you know the purposes of this are for these systemic effects that you know Josh was talking about. That, that's not going to be for everybody. That's right. um, yeah, definitely going to be more for someone who's a more savvy, uh, maybe more of athletic background. But you know we often do see a better long-term result because some people just are too unfit to get better. Um, and the other spectrum of that, is I, I don't see this as often now as I used to, but you know back in the day, there was a couple surgeons where we routinely get some total joints replacement, total joint replacements. And these were people that were like you know, morbidly obese, type two diabetes, completely sedentary. They basically you know sat around all day long, and they're being set up for failure. Um, so you know the, the good surgeons are going to tell their patients to lose weight, but the better ones are actually get them on a on a just a simple walking program, and that can be night and day. That can start for some people be um you know life or death um depending on the situation. So this stuff is important, and you know this stuff is is highly applicable to the rehab setting and not just strength conditioning as well. Um. So, I guess uh, switching gears here a little bit. Um, that was a pretty good review of aerobics. I mean, from what I understand, though, that the, the, the anaerobic anaerobic systems sort of kind of work against each other a little bit, right?
2: Yeah, it's you know, it, in a way. In a way, yeah, it's. So it's one of those things that it's if if we're stressing the body in. A multitude of different ways. We're trying to create aerobic adaptations. We're trying to create anaerobic adaptations. Uh, we're trying to, you know, increase strength and hypertrophy. Uh, you, your your body kind of has a maximal amount of, of volume and things that it can recover from. So it's going to kind of, you know, it's pick and choose what it's really going to adapt to. And it, it, you're really not going to make a ton of progress uh, by trying to throw a bunch of darts at the wall in a sense. So um, for me, I'm prioritizing when I'm really developing the uh, anaerobic system and prioritizing how I do it. Um, you know, if you think about it, we've, we all know how to, or we at least have been exposed to different methods of periodization for strength and hypertrophy. That's kind of, um, you know, classically where most of the research is done, and we can point to numerous um, different um, resources out there and ways to do that. However, energy system training can also be prioritized. And uh, that, my first exposure, this really is through, uh, you know, James Fitzgerald kind of Talking about this, and it just made sense. It's like, why? Why am I not periodizing this as well? So for me, when I'm uh, working with an athlete, I'm looking at their season or their year. If they have, a, you know, this is, a, say, a more competitive person, uh, but it doesn't have to be a competitive person. I still want to go through these same cycles with people who are, who are, you know, doing this for other reasons. But say I have an athlete and the Open is their goal. We know the Open's going to start that last week, in, uh, last week in February. They just announced the dates and it is the last week of February again. It usually is always about that time. And if I'm structuring their year around, uh, you know, I'm going to prioritize how I want to develop them both aerobically and anaerobically. So for me, I like to start for most people. Again, this is very generic. Um, and depending on if you are more enduring or more explosive, um, you know this could totally change based on their background. But for uh, a in the general in general speaking, I'll probably start the aerobic work at the long end and the anaerobic work at the very very short end. So that means I'm going to keep the anaerobic work alactic lactic or without lactate. So for me, that means I'm going to start their anaerobic work at, at you know at five seconds, you know, or five or six seconds. Quick sprint. Um, it could be on the assault bike. I love using the assault bike for this kind of thing, and I'm going to progress from there. So I might their their first week of you know you know this off season program. If I'm starting with their anaerobic development. I, I might be doing alactic work, uh, what I would call alactic power, and it might be six second assault bike sprints on the minute, and I might repeat that for you know. Six to eight reps, you know, and, you know, you you might think, well, that's not, um, you know, that's not going to be very hard. Well, if we, if you remember, you know, this alactic work is using the CP system, there's not the byproduct of lactate. I haven't gotten into that energy system enough for the accumulation of blood lactate creating that burning feeling. However, it's still important to train. That you know the CP system to be able to uh, you know to to create maximal development there as well. So I'm going to start with that six second sprint. Then maybe the next week I'm going eight seconds, and then maybe I'm going ten seconds, and then I start moving into more the I guess the endurance realm of the alactic system working more 15 seconds 18 seconds because when we get up to around 20 seconds I'm going to start to see uh, you know a little bit more uh, lactate accumulation starting uh, again it's going to be different for each person some people it could be earlier some people it could be a little bit later if they can prolong um, you know, uh, that the use of Uh, the CP system, so they're not digging into that uh, lactic system yet. And I'll start moving in, so say I'm at 15, um, you know, maybe a 15-second bike sprint, and I'm resting two minutes and 15 seconds. I'm going one every 2.30, for example, say on the bike, uh, just Mm -hmm. to keep this... you know pretty generic uh, then I'm moving say 20 seconds and now I'm doing one I'm resting uh, three minutes and 40 seconds I'm going 20 second bike sprint every four minutes and and again we these rest times are gonna get long especially as I get longer I might get up to um, you know a six sec- 60 second all-out bike sprint and rest 10 minutes and then come back. my work to rest there is one to ten. Um you know, uh and and you know, cause that's gonna be what's needed to be able to again have a repeat effort in that system. And I'm building that up forty, sixty seconds, and then I get more la from lactic power work into more of what I would term lactic endurance. And I'm working all the way up to two and three minute lactic repeats there. And that is what we call you know, it's very um painful training, um to use a yes. kind word there. It's it's not fun, yeah. it hurts. Um, you know, it's uh it's tough training and again the average person doesn't necessarily need to do that but um, if somebody is a high level CrossFit athlete they might have a session where I'm coming in I have them do uh, you know two minute hard lactic repeats with uh, you know maybe I'll do like four or five of them and I'll be resting like 10 to 15 minutes in between uh, you know and that's their session and you may you know it's not a lot of volume there but the intensity is so high that they need that kind of rest. So, uh, again, it depends on the person. But I'm progressing that lactic work over the course of it. And at the same time, I'm doing the opposite of the aerobic work. I'm starting on the long end. And I'm doing these aerobic intervals. And I'm progressing those down to the point where I'm going 10-minute aerobic intervals with maybe two to three-minute rest because this is aerobic. It can be sustainable. And I'm repeating 10 minutes, a couple minutes rest, 10 minutes, a couple minutes rest, 10 minutes. And it should be all be sustainable. And then I'm going down to maybe, you know, in that instance, maybe I'm doing five, eight minute repeats and they're all with uh, you know, uh, you know, a short rest there working down until I'm getting down to a minute on, minute off, minute on, minute off at higher aerobic efforts because it's still sustainable. So um, the moral of the story really is uh, these, these energy systems are intertwined. As you mentioned, very first thing, they're all intertwined and they all compete for resources sometimes and, and in terms of recovery and adaptation, they're going to be competing so it's important to have them structured in a manner to where you can progress this person because, in you know, in this instance, a competitive athlete, I know when game day is, so I need them most prepared for whatever is thrown out on game day. And if I just do random things in their training all year round, you know, they're not going to make as much progress as if I progress these uh, appropriately and periodize their energy system training
1: just as I would their strength and hypertrophy training. Sure. Yeah, that- that's important. You know, that's, I think a lot of people don't realize that you should just do glycolytic or <clears throat> high intensity training all year round. But mm-hmm. I did just want to like echo that, that uh, last thing you said about the intervals, um, especially like a sprint on an aerodyne, like real, real anaerobic training is horrible. It is mm-hmm. awful. Like just anyone listening and try minute or just 30 seconds, just all out sprint on an aerodyne. Um, you know, I think the most common interval system that everybody's heard of is Tabata training. You know, it's eight rounds of 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. Right. But I don't think anyone does like real Tabata training. Uh, I think yeah. I think like the original one, you're supposed to go at a 170% effort and sustain that. But you know, by the time you get that eight set with 10 seconds of rest, you're probably going at 60% right. yeah. at the most. But you know, it's it's hard for people to to wrap their minds around needing that much rest, 10 to 15 minutes, to right. actually create those adaptations. But that's what you got to do if you're gonna if you're gonna do real anaerobic training. Right. Um. So just to kind of just I'm trying to I'm trying to put this all together in my head. So. You know, I think just just thinking about like the the ideal situation. You know, I, to perform well in a sport, we probably want like a high oxidative capacity of all the muscle fiber types, like type mm-hmm. one, type two, type two X. Is is that really possible? Can can you do that? And I guess if so, does that just go back to periodization? Just kind of looking at things from the from the you know the long term view.
2: So. I think the most important thing first is to look at the energy system demands of that particular sport because we've been speaking in terms of, or at least I've been speaking in terms of, you know, crossfitters, in which you know we don't really know the events, but that's different for somebody who run, is running a marathon or somebody that is a weightlifter, uh, you know, or sports where the events are a little bit more known. So um, mm-hmm. for me, uh, I, I'm going to yes with a CrossFitter or somebody that's, you know, I have to be able to be prepared for some of these more anaerobic type efforts, uh, I will probably lose a little bit of that aerobic capacity as I prep their anaerobic system. Um, You know, I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's inevitable. Um, Similarly, as I prep the anaerobic system, I'm probably going to lose a little bit of their overall maximal strength, just because it's extremely difficult to be, as strong as you phys- physically could be, as enduring as you physically could be, and as quote unquote fit in terms of that, you know, your anaerobic capacity as you could be all at the same mm-hmm. time. So, for me, my Nothing's goal free, everything yeah, comes at a cost. Exactly, man. So, my goal is to if I can build as you talked about a base, if I can build your aerobic capacity and your strength as much as I can prior to prepping more of that middle ground where we're going to see those CrossFit type workouts. I, my goal is to hold on to as much strength and aerobic capacity as possible while prepping the, the anaerobic system. And, and then for me, that's how I'm going to have you most prepared on game day. Um, you know, Because, again, I don't necessarily know what the event's going to be. Now, if the event was to come out and it was a marathon row or half marathon row, whatever they did at the games um, before, would you have been better prepared on that to do that maybe a month prior probably, but again, if they have a workout that comes out that's four minutes the next day, you wouldn't have been as prepared for that. So there's some give and take when you're doing this because it is so hard to be 100% On every single thing, so I usually treat it as I'm going to build up the two ends that I can train simultaneously. Which I'm a true believer that you can build really, uh, you can build aerobic capacity while working on maximal strength at the same time. Because I don't think they compete as much, if anything, the aerobic work that that easy work that we talked about earlier only supports the strength training. Uh, But if I'm really trying to get you great at doing a 2,000 meter or a 1,000 meter or 2,000 meter row for time eventually i'm going to eat away at some of those maximal strength and aerobic capacity gains that we were able to make in the off season just because yeah it's it's going to be really hard to maintain all that but that's kind of the intricacy of it i'm trying to prep enough to be prepared for that middle ground stuff while not prepping so much that i lose too much on the opposite ends of the spectrum
1: gotcha Man, my brain hurts a little bit.
2: <laughs> well, this is where it comes down to really prioritizing, man. I have a whiteboard sure. literally everywhere. I have a whiteboard at in my, in my house. I have a whiteboard in the office at the gym. I use the whiteboards at school for this when I probably should be studying for other things. Um, and it's sitting there and it's looking, okay, this person has this event on this day. How do I make sure they're best prepared for the demands that they're going to see on that day? And this is where you know being with a coach for a while can help because – you know, everybody's progression is going to be different. Some people, from from my experience, I've had, I have athletes that I, I only need a four to six week energy system prep before events. Some other athletes, they really like a longer eight to ten to twelve week prep. Um, and so, no one's going to be the same. Uh, so it's it's really individualized, and that's what make, keeps everything interesting for me. Is every person's kind of a new uh, a new blank slate that I get to
1: uh, I get to experiment with a little bit. Sure. So, I mean. You know, I think you basically just described this, uh, and I know you're just kind of scratching the surface, but it's on a PhD level. But if anyone listening wants to learn more about this, do you have any good resources, any books, any training systems? but what do you recommend?
2: Okay, yeah, one of the a really easy read that I think is a, a must for people who want to get into energy system training is Joel Jameson's book. It's called Ultimate MMA Conditioning, and Joel Jameson is a strength conditioning coach that works with fighters. Um, he's out of Washington State, I believe. And the thing the thing that drew me to him is is fight conditioning is so intriguing because in most sports, if I'm not as fit as you, I just lose. But in in fighting, if you're if I'm not as fit as you. I'm gonna get hurt. So the stakes are, are so much higher with, with that kind of training so to be successful in that sport as a strength conditioning coach, you really have to know your stuff uh, because people aren't going to keep coming back to you if uh, if they're not only because they're losing, but they're actually you know suffering a, a beat down there. So for me, it, Ultimate MMA Conditioning by Joel Jameson is a great intro to energy system training. Um, I always recommend James Fitzgerald's work. Um, his 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 coaching certification program through OPEX is great. Um, honestly, that's where a lot of these work to rest times that I use and these progressions that I used i was first exposed to uh by him Uh, i know in the cscs book that i believe it's the essentials of strength or strength training or strength conditioning um that book also has um some intro to energy system stuff and it has work to rest intervals there um and and you know basically uh figuring out how many sets and reps for the different types of uh you know types of conditioning that you'd be doing there Uh, i'm trying to think off the top of my head uh, which other books i would I would go with for this topic again it's not as well researched i mean i can you know we can probably rattle off a hundred books on strength training um but as far as energy system development um there it, it's a little less there's a, a a lot of this a lot of what i do is i take from running because there's a lot of research on running so healthy intelligent training uh it's by keith uh livingstone i believe um uh, <laughs> is another good one that again it's more running based but um you can start to apply those things from a monostructural standpoint and then play around with mixed modal adaptations because I'll do that same thing with mixed modal stuff. We talked about a 60-second bike sprint. It could very easily be uh, 10 heavy Russian kettlebell swings into 10 burpees as fast as possible and then hop on the bike and sprint the remaining time. So you can Basically, play with... You know, gym,
1: tri- gym triathlon. Yeah, yeah,
2: you can play with uh, you know mixed modal versions of those as well um, you know, they, they, you just have to make sure that the, the intensity stays where you want it. Uh, but that would be where I would start. I would probably start with Joel's book. Yeah. Um, I, I think, um, that healthy intelligent training is a good book. Um, the CSCS stuff. And then, um, of course, uh, I'm a big fan of James Fitzgerald and, and his OPEX work.
1: Sure. Got it. got you, man. Um, so yeah, just like you said, you get creative, you know, uh, multimodal stuff. I mean, basically like The exercises are just the vehicles to get you where you want to go because it's all about the intensity and duration, essentially. Exactly. Good deal. Good deal. All right, man. Well, um, anything else you wanted to get off your chest?
2: No, man. I think that was good. Uh, Again, we were just scratching the surface. This stuff is complex. Um, If you have questions, you can always reach out to either of us through our our Instagram at Better Faster Podcast or through the website at BetterFasterPodcast.com or if you want to find me. Uh, at CPT underscore strength or Brandon at Vertex PT. Um, Those are uh, easy ways to get to us with questions. Uh, We love questions. Or if you want to leave a question as part of an iTunes review, that would also be awesome because those iTunes reviews really are important for us. Uh, They help us reach more people, which is what we're trying to do is just uh, start the conversation about PT and strength conditioning. Uh, So leave us one of those reviews that we would really much appreciate it and don't be afraid to throw out topics that you want to hear.
1: That was great. Way to slide that one in. (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. easy segue right there. That's (laughs) right. All
1: right, y'all have a good week.
2: All right, sounds good. See you next week.
0: This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT
2: Specialists. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour, guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.